This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. One size doesn't fit everyone and there isn't one type of investor. If you're looking for that just-right investment for a tax return or savings, we've got some options today that aren't the stock market. We'd also like to take your other personal finance questions this morning. Contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. Uh, before we jump into things, just a, a quick comment on one of the news stories there in the NPR newscast. It's a shame, in my way of thinking, that a group of rich baseball owners and a group of rich baseball players cannot seem to get together on a collective bargaining agreement so that those of us who love baseball can actually get to watch it that season. They're messing up our national pastime, just as we're all ready to get out there, go to the stadiums, and participate in these things. That's true. So hopefully they'll work things out because... uh, you know, what what better way to spend your summer than, than watching right. baseball? Right. Absolutely. All right, Nancy, good morning. Uh, speaking financially, what's on your mind this morning? Well, first of all, happy Fat Tuesday, yes. Kevin. I come from the coast, and um, down there, they're partying, there are parades, and, and here we are working. What is up with that? <laughs> um, but uh, we had our CFA forecast dinner last week. We missed it the year before because of COVID, so this was a good sign that we were all ready to get back out there. And we had a great panel that uh, spoke to us about all all the things that are going on in the world, which are many, but they talked about demographics, the the characteristics of the population and how we are an aging population. And the latest census really shows some stagnation, not only an aging population, just not much growth. 2020 had the lowest birth rate we've ever experienced, which is a little unnerving. That's not good for the economy. But Michael Scanlon, who is was one of the panelists, uh, runs a portfolio. And they had the opportunity to go talk to the people at Procter & Gamble, one of their investments, who told them that they had seen a 75% increase in the year of pregnancy tests. So they're thinking there might be a COVID boom. He said, keep looking out the window for all those strollers. That's good news. Uh, by the way, I would say that our producer, Liz Gill, generously brought in a little king cake, so we do have a bit of Mardi Gras in uh, the studio with us this morning. So, Where are the beads? That's what I want to You know, it's also Fasching is what it's called in Germany. I, when my father was stationed over there while he was in the military, we often uh, did that similar thing, just kind of a different name, and I guess in Carnival in uh, South America, I believe. But it's oh, all, yeah, it's a big deal. All the very same thing, uh, partying before Lent begins. So good morning, Ryder. What's on your mind, financially speaking, today? Good morning. So starting last week, we we now have a a war between Ukraine and Russia, and that has... That has interesting, weird implications for us. So like I've said before, Russia and Ukraine, they are not big trading partners of us. They do not influence our economy that much, as this could be going on. And besides having updates from the news, most Americans wouldn't notice. But we have a very interconnected world. And so Europe depends on them for gas and energy. A lot of places depend on Russia for exporting raw materials. A a big one is aluminum. And 
uh, some gases like neon, which is used in making semiconductors. So there's all sorts of interconnectedness to it. So it's, again, thinking about how we have had a lot of inflation lately from the fact that it's been hard to get enough of the things we need. It's been hard enough to produce enough cars because, oh, this car part plant has shut down. It's been hard enough to get enough things on the shelves because we don't have enough people working in transportation. And so this is just another piece of that. It's going to be harder to get aluminum products. It's going to be harder to get things that depend on gas uh, to manufacture in Europe. So all of those things adding to that inflation. So we're going to look forward. We've been looking forward to the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates, but it's very interesting to see them kind of wrestle with this at a time when the inflation is still driven by just a lack of goods, not necessarily the too much money part of the equation. Uh, let me also mention that uh, back to our CFA forecast dinner, and we had these experts speaking to us about what they were seeing out there and what they were forecasting. Um, Laura in our office wrote a blog that uh, summarized that, and there's also a link in there so that you can go to YouTube and watch the entire um, uh, program there. And so you, I think she sent that to Liz, and also you can find it on our blog, newper.blogspot.com. All right, very good. Uh, so we received an email that is the genesis for the, our topic today. The email read, I've got $250,000 in a bank's savings account that earned a whopping 54 bucks last year and $2.06 last month. I need to invest in something, but I don't like the markets. Any ideas? So that seemed like an email that we could take a whole show to answer, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to give you some options and see what our investment professionals think. We will start off, Nancy, with real estate investment trusts. First, tell us what that is. Well, we call those REITs, and um, those are pooled funds, collections of other things. But in this case, they're collections of real estate. That can be commercial property. It can be other types. Types of property can be office buildings. Um, years ago, I remember coming across one that was invested in cemeteries. Uh, but all of the income from that generally comes from leases or rentals that are coming through. REITs are required to pass most of that income through to their investors. What, 90%? Is that right, Ryder? 90%. 90% has to go out every year. So if you like a lot of that income, one problem is that that 90% that goes out as a dividend, they do not get the special treatment on dividends, which is, you know, a lower taxation rate than your income tax rate. So watch out for that. But make sure you understand what they're investing in. Is it, are these good solid properties? And, you know, remember back to 2008, 2009, when a lot of these real estate investments went bust. So be careful there. There is risk there. So in this case, you're giving your money to what a management team that then invests in different types of real estate. Exactly. Yes. And is it similar that you get shares? Um, or how much? Yes. You you have a share in this fund, just like you would have a share in a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, and you own a piece of whatever the whole fund owns. 
what are your thoughts about the, the REITs, Ryder? So real estate is always going to be attractive to many people. It, it's really easy to make a story about real estate, and, and these stories are true. When you hear people say, oh, they're not making any more land, or people always need a place to live. These are true things, and, and those are things that real estate investment has going for it. Also, uh, kind of on the more uh, kind of pushing the boundary side of things, people will say, oh, real estate is less volatile because, well, you don't price it every day and every second like you do stocks. Stocks, you see them move throughout the day. Your house, you probably only check what it's worth when you buy it, sell it, or refinance your home. You might Or care. look on Zillow. Or look on Zillow. <laughs> yeah. You might care. And how many times a day do you look on Zillow? I don't know. Maybe you look a, a lot. times a week. <laughs> okay, so Okay, so maybe your house price is kind of volatile. I don't know. Um, there are some other attractive things about real estate, especially directly investing in real estate. You have a lot of tax breaks. And also, generally, folks look at real estate as we would look at trying to keep up with inflation and earn some income on top of that. So it's got a lot of attractive things to it. And one of the thing about all of these investments, or a lot of the investments that we're going to look at, is you can buy these on the stock market. You can buy them through a regular brokerage account. So there are publicly traded real estate investment trusts, like Nancy was mentioning. There are also privately traded ones. We'll get into private companies a little more, but I'm always cautious with privately traded ones, just because their disclosure is not necessarily the same level. They're, uh, they're not necessarily being looked at by the same folks who are looking at public companies and, and picking them apart and, and looking to improve them. And so they're often an area, privately traded real estate investment trusts are often an area uh, that are that are sold by folks who are paid a high commission to sell those. So there's a lot of conflicts of interest there that I would watch out for those. I wrote down that sometimes they can be particularly heinous fee schemes instead of really real estate investment trusts. But there's a lot of reasons to invest in those. And understand that real estate's performance is definitely uh, correlated to interest rates because most of the time that real estate is mortgaged. Mm-hmm. And so um, for the last 10, 15 years, uh, they've had very favorable interest rate environments with very low rates on their debt. If that starts to go up, eventually that will affect their performance. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're discussing ways to invest that don't involve the stock market. What are the largest securities markets in the U.S.? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MBB Think Radio.
information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. The two major U.S. financial securities markets are the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. On the show today, we're looking for your personal Personal finance questions while we talk about investment opportunities other than the stock markets. So next on our list, Ryder, it's peer-to-peer lending. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes, peer-to-peer lending is very interesting concept. I think the idea is that they're deconstructing a bank. With a bank, you have people who have a lot of money and they want to deposit it, like our email that inspired this whole show. So you deposit your money in the bank. And the bank turns around and finds people who want to borrow money because there are people in the world who don't have enough money and need to borrow money. And so they lend it out. And so they charge that person an interest rate and then they pay some of that to you for the privilege of using your money. The idea with peer to peer lending is that you cut out the middleman. You you have a much simpler organization who does this matching, and you, as the depositor, gets most of the money, most of the interest. You are almost directly making that loan. That's the idea. You are lending to your peers, peer-to-peer lending. So it's a very interesting concept. I have not always seen it play out that well. Lending Club used to be really big in the U.S. There was one in the U.K. called SOPA. That has recently not folded, but just... The attractiveness of the peer-to-peer part, most people do want the simplicity and other services that a bank offers. They don't want to have to deal with, oh, I'm loaning to, you know, Bobby. Because you're taking the risk, right? You are taking the risk. That is one of the things. You know, a, a bank, they are an intermediary. They intermediate between you and that other person, and they take on a lot of that risk. They're guaranteeing that they're going to pay you that interest, and in fact, they have a lot of regulations to make sure that's true, and they also have support from the government to make sure that happens. Um, it's difficult on a peer-to-peer marketplace. I've, I've had a few myself, and I've looked at them. You look and, oh, I'm loaning to Tom from Nebraska who is paying off his student loans or Judy from Atlanta who is remodeling her kitchen, and that's great, but I don't really know how to do the credit analysis on these, and I don't know how to tell if that's a good interest rate. And so, many of these people are probably going there because they couldn't get a loan from their local bank, right? Oftentimes that is the case, and because one of the things about it, they typically tend to have a higher interest rate than you would see from a bank. Because it's risk and reward. But because it's a little higher risk. So it is attractive in that you have the opportunity to earn more. And it's always kind of fun to think, oh, I'm lending to actual people. It really kind of humanizes the, humanizes the banking process. But it's... Okay, so what do, you, what do you do, though, if they default? 
Oh, you if they don't, don't pay you. You don't get the money back. You don't get the money and back. And you don't get to go pursue them either. So that's nice that you don't have to pursue them and be a Who nasty, does? mean Anybody? debt collector. I, the policies are going to vary from each place, but I believe most of them are probably just selling it off to a debt collector. So you invest X amount of dollars, and then do you get to decide, I want uh, to help Tom out with his student loans and not Sally with her kitchen remodeling? Yes. that's The, the ones I have seen, that is how they work. I'm not 100% sure because I, I don't know any of the kind of current market players. And the biggest one, I think they're the oldest one in the U.S., is called Prosper Marketplace. And... It's set up mostly as a place where you would come to lend. So I'm not sure if it's just you say, oh, I want to do high-quality loans, or I want to do low-quality loans, or I want to do geographic loans. I'm not sure how much control you have over it. I know that many models in the past, you have been able to choose specific loans and get a little bit of information about that borrower. So, Nancy, sounds like this is some red flags involved here. Yeah, I think there's a lot of risk that you're taking on. And, yes, it's appealing because you can look at that higher rate, much higher than what you can get on banks right now. You know, I'm seeing rates from 0.1. I have people all the time say, oh, I think I'm earning. 0.01, I believe, what you're thinking of. I'm earning 1%. I'm like, go back and look at where that decimal is. So it's really frustrating. And so my caution is to be careful about stepping out with something with a higher rate because you can guarantee that in this environment that means higher risk. But I guess it might be attractive to someone, as Ryder mentioned, that you, you know that you're sort of directly influencing, you're helping Tom pay off his student loans or whatever. So, yeah. Well, just be prepared. It's just like, you know, loaning money to family. Just act like it's a gift and go your way. <laughs> Next on our list, an older one, as far as I know, savings bonds. Nancy, uh, remind us about uh, these investment vehicles. Well, most people invest in savings bonds through a payroll deduction program at work. That's where you often will see them. People sign up there. But you could go um, directly to Treasury and purchase these. Usually, these are discounted bonds. In other words, I want to buy a $50 savings bond. It may cost me $25. And then it will pay interest. Um, It's usually usually 30 years and but you get you get a certificate a bond that you will then have physical possession of most of the time and so I can remember having a collection of those that came through my first husband's uh, payroll deduction and um, the value of them is that you can use them for educational purposes which is what most people are doing but watch out make sure you keep up with them Um, once you go past 30 years they're not paying you anymore and it's time to cash out. Uh, I used to get savings bonds from uh, the uh, work, but I, my problem was 30 years. I was luck with 30 That's days. a long time, <laughs> right, yeah. But I did wait until I think they matured or whatever. I, I, I got my money out of it. So to me, it was a sort of a, a, a slight delay. And, in, and understand uh, with savings bonds, they're, they're different letter series. So make sure you're getting the one that's appropriate for you. Uh, Ryder, who do you think savings bonds might be a good option for? I, I don't know that they're a good option for many people these days. We have talked about the I-series bonds, which are inflation-linked. So they have both, they pay a fixed rate of interest, which right now is 0%, 
and they also pay an inflationary rate of interest. And that's and that's good if you just have some cash that you want to set aside specifically for inflation protected cash. That that's that's something that makes sense. One of the difficulties is y'all are mentioning paper certificates is that you are buying these directly from the treasury. So you're not just you can't just throw it in a brokerage account with all of your other stuff. One of the very convenient things about a brokerage account is you can put so many things in it. You can put US stocks and international stocks. You can put real estate investment trusts in it. You can put some of the other things that we're talking about today. You can put all that in a brokerage account and you don't have to keep up with a hundred different accounts. We're working with folks who they know they bought treasury bonds directly from the treasury years ago, but can't find them, can't access them. There's a tool to help you find them, but they're not having any luck with that. So there can be cumbersome for when the fact is there are similar and slash or better options that you can buy in this brokerage account that you would have other things that you care and pay attention to in. This is Money Talks, and today we're getting uh, our professionals' opinions about various types of investment options. Not unsure why, but for some reason, savings bonds reminds me of S and H green stamps, which are completely, <laughs> totally different things. But oh just gosh, that brings back memories, another, Kevin. Another great investment opportunity. <laughs> it, it was my job. My mother had a drawer with uh, the empty books, and then she would just shove those stamps in there. And so my job would be to put them in there. And if I did that enough, then I got to choose something. <laughs> All right, our next uh, investment option on the list is gold. Uh, Ryder, there's enough infomercials about this investor opportunity. Uh, how does one about going about investing in gold? Oh, goodness. Uh, you can invest in gold in a lot of ways. You can you can go purchase physical gold. A lot of people like collecting gold coins. Sometimes there's both the investment, oh, I hope this appreciates in value side to it, but there's also the just, I like collecting coins. That's a thing that people do. And so some of them will have some collectible value to them in addition to the value of the gold itself. You can buy bars and you can pay someone to guard them for you or bury them off in the woods and hope you remember where they are. All sorts of ways to do that. But easy, the, my most of my experience with gold bars and gold coins and ingots that people have is helping them sell them because they don't want those anymore. Even if you want gold exposure, again, you can do that in your brokerage account. You can buy a fund that just contains gold. You don't, you can't like usually call in the fund and say, "Hey, send me my gold." I believe there is one fund that will do that. But most funds, they just have a bunch of gold. It's in a vault. They're paying a guy to watch it for you. And it's kind of... Uh, it's the, the scale of it, it's, it's a lot better because you don't have to pay the guy. They're paying a guy on behalf of a lot of people to guard it. So that's how, that's how you could buy gold. Although I will say I, I have to comment about how the price of gold has gone recently. I know people are really excited about it. Times when there's high inflation, when there is uncertainty and war in the world are usually when people say traditionally we turn to gold. So in the past month, gold is up 10%. That's crazy. That's great. That's way better than the stock market. Let's be clear. But it's still not even as high as it was last June. It's it's up for the year, but it's not it's not like with everything going on in the world. It's you would kind of think maybe it would be at all-time highs or something, but it's it's not. So with gold, it's it's measured in weight. So the more weight, yeah, ounces, yeah. Okay, um, and 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much would a little tiny gold bar be. I think they're usually like one ounce, are they not, with an ink? So, yeah, you can get little one ounce uh, bars, a lot of one ounce coins. Uh, you know, it's gold is very heavy, so it's it's just a decent sized coin. And uh, I, I do not know off the top of my head what the. But the I mean, price I just think that, that might be a fun thing. Hey, look, I've got gold. You know. Yes, but you know, if you. Oh, have, let me let oh, me see that, Kevin. Yes. Oh, my gosh, that is so. Oh, and nice. it just goes in my pocket, right? <laughs> so whoever has ownership or possession of it, they've got it. Yeah, if you have it, you've got it. <laughs> Uh, Nancy, having worked with you over the years, I, I know that, I, or I think I know that this is not one of your favorite investments. No, options. it's not. And um, as Ryder mentioned, there are these spikes with gold. Uh, it is a fear play. So anytime there's great uncertainty in the world, you will see it spike in price. Um, if we go out over a longer period of time, it's going to be um, correlated to inflation. And it's going to be pretty close on its return to the inflation rate over a longer period of time. And um, for that reason, I tend to stay away from it. You do see these shorter periods of time where people make a lot of money because, again, it's spiking because of some sort of fear. So if you're going to play in the gold market, you get in quick and you get out quick. Seems like uh, when we talked about this on the show, what once the, uh, there was a, um, a vending machine somewhere that sold gold. I think mm-hmm. it was. So. There, there are gold vending machines, just like there's Bitcoin vending machines. And oh, I wonder if somebody has figured out how to like like a you know pull it out the back wall of someplace and haul it <laughs> oh, off. I'm, I'm I'm sure I'm sure people have been thinking about that. And then, of course, gold leaf is popular on uh, desserts and fancy dishes and that sort of right. thing. Right. But right. you can you can buy that from a craft store, and it's not very expensive. Okay. So that could be a fun way to have gold and eat it too. And gold teeth, of course, we can't leave gold without talking right. about gold teeth. So, well, that's just now we're talking status, right? <laughs> well, I have a silver tooth. You do. Uh-huh. Right. Back in there. I have some gold earrings. Yeah. All right. I'm looking for that gold ingot so I can show it to everybody and keep a close eye on it. We're discussing investment opportunities other than stock markets. Hey, wait, whatever happened to the American Stock Exchange? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Hi, it's Rachel Martin with NPR's Morning Edition. People have stories about their car, that long summertime family road trip, that hand-me-down first car they got when they turned 16, the first car they bought on their own. And cars can generate other kinds of stories, like the kind you hear on this station. 
When you donate a vehicle to this station, the proceeds bring you stories from around the world. Here's how to get started. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. This is Money Talks, MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. In April 2007, the New York Stock Exchange merged with a European stock exchange known as Euronext to form what's currently NYSE Euronext. The American Stock Exchange, previously the third largest stock exchange, was acquired in 2008 by uh, that NYSE Euronext. We are talking today about investment opportunities other than the stock market. Next on our list is certificates of deposit. So, Nancy, uh, quickly remind us what these are and your thoughts on CDs. Well, a CD is a bond issued by a local bank. So you are loaning money to that local bank. Uh, CDs are generally very safe because, of course, banks have FDIC insurance for each individual investor up to 250000 It is a way for investors or bank account holders to get a little bit more interest than what they could get on a checking or savings account typically. And you purchase them in certain increments based on time. It can be one month, three months. It can be five years, ten years. And, of course, the longer the time period, typically the higher the interest rate. The problem that we're running into lately is a lot of people are so frustrated by these very low rates that they don't want to use CDs. But it is a way to um, have something that is very stable. You know it's going to pay off, a little bit of extra interest. And if so, if you are using CDs as part of your portfolio, don't get tempted to put that at higher risk. They're still a good tool. Um, so, Ryder, is there a minimum amount that you need to deposit in CDs? And is there what about in the terms of the length? Is there like a maximum amount of how far out they can go? Typically, the furthest out you see is five years, although there are some that you don't necessarily get directly from the bank. You can buy them, again, in a brokerage account that may be for longer than that. I've seen them up to... 10 years maybe the often a bank will have a minimum say $500 or $100 but those minimums are getting much smaller just cuz it's the administration of opening up a new account is 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 the thought behind that usually and like Nancy said all sorts of time intervals you are getting hopefully a teeny tiny bit more interest in exchange for promising the bank you're not going to withdraw it uh, before the term is up this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Looks like we have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Larry. Larry, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I've got a question. Uh, I own my own house, uh, no liens against it, and uh, I tried to get a home equity, knock off uh, a couple of uh, credit card bills. And uh, I was denied because they said that I didn't make enough. I'm on Social Security, but like I said, the main thing is, uh, no liens against the house. It's my home, and uh, it's valued at over $150,000. What reasons could you think that the bank... I, I, that kind of surprises me. Does it surprise you, Ryder? Um, because typically, if the value is there in the house, and your house is completely paid off, that's what they're going to loan you the money on. Because if you don't make the payments on that home equity line of credit, then they have the collateral. They can take the house. 
Yeah, I would. I would. <clears throat> excuse me. I would think that the house uh, security would be enough, but. Yeah, that just I I think you need to check with another banker, another lender. Um and and it could be that this particular lender is just strictly looking at income and basing it on that. But if you ask for an appraisal, then that appraisal is justification for that home equity line of credit. So I would just check with another banker. Yes, I've been dealing with these people for over 20, over 30 years. All right, let me ask you this other question, because one of the things that might be also holding them back, if you have some issues on your credit, you mentioned that, hey, I've got some credit card debt, and that's what I want to wipe out. How much credit card debt are we talking? Well, with the credit cards, I've never been late with a payment. Right. And uh, uh, it was, I was paying over... 500 a month, you know, on credit cards. Well, that the amount that you have on credit cards could be the problem for you. Now, when you talk to your banker, did you explain that what you wanted to do with this home equity line of credit was pay off the credit cards? Yes, I did. Because typically, if you if you do that, what they will do is they will send checks directly to the credit card companies to clear those out for you so that they're assured that that other debt has gone away and you're only left with that HELOC. But here's the, uh, the trainer. I got an unsecured loan with a friend in another state through the same bank. Okay. All right. Well, the amount of debt that you have may be pulling you back more than your income. I mean, it is a combination of things. But I would just say check with some other bankers. You could be facing a higher rate of interest because of your situation, but it probably still is going to be less than what you're facing on your credit cards. Just be aware that if you use that um, HELOC to pay off that unsecured loan to a friend and also to the credit cards, then you're converting uh, unsecured debt to secured debt. So that loan to your friend, the, the credit cards, if you don't make the payments, you wreck your credit, but they can't come get your stuff. If you don't make the payments on your home equity line of credit, your HELOC, they can take your house. Yeah, I understood that, but I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say. Okay, keep trying. All right. Thanks, Larry, for your call. Could he go back to the lender who denied him the HELOC and say, why did you not give me this? Yes, mm-hmm. you are entitled to, to ask for that, um, and they will even give you your actual credit score that they based all the information on, and then they can pr- respond to you. And they may a different amount may work better for him, and I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but he may have some success i know some people uh, i've encouraged this mixed bag of success with for folks going back to the credit card lenders and just explaining the situation saying i i will pay this off however i would like a lower interest rate and a fixed payment plan a lot of the a lot of places are doing those automatically these days and once they get you to agree to something and it is something that you can afford because he's on a fixed income he's on social security then it can be a much more affordable thing for him to do. So, Ryder, do you think that they, the credit card companies are open to that now with the possibility of rising interest rates? Are they more concerned about more defaults so that they'll 
negotiate with you or are they just thinking it's going to cost us more and so no i think there's a lot of competitive like we were talking about with the peer-to-peer loans there's a lot of fairly competitive non-bank lenders out there and so american express and and visa and whoever's issuing these cards they see those and they see people offering credit card consolidation loans for eight percent and they think oh my goodness why would i take all that money off of my balance sheet that's earning me money when i can just I can do that too. So often when you log in to look at your credit card account, there will be somewhere an offer for a personal loan to pay off some of your higher higher uh, balance debts. So I think they just see it's a competitive marketplace and there are still, when you convert it to a personal fixed rate loan, there's still going to be catches. There's still going to be, if you miss a payment, maybe we're going to jack it up to the old 24% interest rate that we used to have you at. Maybe we're going to go back and charge you interest kind of like when we mentioned with balance transfer cards where you can get a great promo rate, but after a while it kicks back up. So there's catches to it. It's not perfect, but it's it's a lot better. And I think it's a great, I think that's a great product for a lot of people who've really uh, run into a bind. You know, I have a HELOC that I got after uh, I had some issues where I had to get some work done on my bathroom. So I figured, well, let me get this so it's there in case some there's another large expense house-related so I have some money to get to. And the appraisal was someone drove to my house, took a picture mm. of the house, took a picture of my mailbox, and took a picture of the street. And that's it. Was your, well, ma- was your mailbox in good shape? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. but, but, but remember, with real estate, it's all about location, location, well, I, location. So they're looking at comparable properties around you and what they've sold for, and they're, in, in large part, basing that appraisal on that. But I thought to myself, as long as you take the keep out of your out the exterior of your house looking good, the interior could be a dump for all they know. Right. I mean, I I, th- I really thought someone would come in and look around, but I don't know if that's yeah. not just yeah. yeah they don't okay. typically. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, and some do, but also if you think about it, if you just oh, it's a dump in there. Well, if someone else were to buy your house, they would just clean your stuff out. They would want to know if all those shoes. If there's like <laughs> would go. If there's like a missing wall or like the the roof has fallen in, that would matter. But you you can tell a lot of that from from the outside. But you know, I, I thought that same thing with with the the address of the house and the street is the location location mm-hmm. location mm-hmm. So that's critical we're talking about ways to invest your money that isn't in the stock market beside the ones in the u.s what are some other stock exchanges we've got that information for you next you're listening to money talks on mpb think radio healthy and fit you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active 
I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. We're glad you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder. Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. That's immediately following our show. The New York Stock Exchange is three times the size of the world's third largest stock exchange, the Shanghai. Euronext and the Japanese Exchange Group are next in size by market capitalization of listed companies. We've been talking about ways to invest other than the stock market, but we've got a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Mike, who's in Hernando. Good morning, Mike. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, A question. Several months ago, I bought stock in Atlas it's an electric truck company to this date though they've not brought the truck onto market although rivian has come to market and several others um how do i judge if that was a good market investment or not i i didn't buy a lot of stock but it's just not doing anything would you advise i keep it or get out of it um how much did you pay for it 300 and how many shares uh, was that the total amount I, that you put into it yeah because i was skeptical and i think it was five five six seven shares something like that okay if you were not a huge investment let me ask you this if you were skeptical why did you invest in in it uh because i was in the auto industry and i know that the promises they made of having the truck complete and i get updates regularly that uh it's making progress the uh prototypes are running around and they've got an you know all this kind of thing but uh the other auto the other electric truck companies stocks are extremely expensive yeah i've been salivating over the rivian is is this a publicly traded company yes it is Uh uh-huh in fact i avoided the rivian because the front end of the thing is so ugly I know it's a super truck. I really do. Oh, I think some, it's cool looking. Some, yeah, there you go. See, See? somebody's going to think it's cool. Well, uh, I mean, on this time horizon, of course, looking at it right now is no, there's no way to say oh, what is it going to do in the future. But if you're saying uh, was this a good investment for this time horizon, if it has gone down, your answer is no. That's how stocks work. But but it's only three hundred dollars. But it's only three hundred dollars. So your sizing was probably a really good idea because that's hopefully not causing you too much pain that loss there. But that's not to say anything about its future. I, I will say particularly about this there were a lot of electric car manufacturers that came to the stock market in the past year or two and probably not going to do well most of them most of them they were just very very speculative and this is coming at a time when all of the major car manufacturers the ones who are very uh comfortable and very knowledgeable about making millions of cars every year and and managing this vast car uh selling infrastructure they are coming online with all of their with all of their electric vehicles. And that's been one of the interesting things to me, with uh, particularly with Tesla, is that for so long, 
it was pretty much the only game in town as far as electric cars and we were just waiting and waiting and waiting for other manufacturers to have electric cars and now they do so there it is mike it sounds like you invested in an idea and you really should be investing in a business. So the idea sounds great, but if you're investing in a business, you're looking at do they have a product, do they have revenue, mm-hmm. do they have good management, what's their debt structure, all of that. My preference on those ideas whenever I have people call, and they call all the time with these great ideas, is let's just wait a while. I would prefer to mm-hmm. miss out on some really fabulous gain rather than risk what most often happens which is total loss, Mm -hmm. and wait to Mm -hmm. see if they have some results. The reason I did invest in it, they do have a running prototype. It's been tested by the car magazines, and they like it. Um, And and I thought, well, they actually have one, but it doesn't seem to be gaining the momentum that, like, Rivian gained. Right. And General Motors even just announced a new electric uh, Silverado Mm -hmm. pickup truck. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if I should pull out of this and put more money into somebody like GM. I would say $300 is not a a big gamble at this point. I would let it ride, mm-hmm. but then I would find other avenues. Okay. Good advice. I think mm-hmm. I'll take your advice and wait <laughs> to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I like that because, you know, I, I got into this because I love looking at stocks and thinking about this company and that company and where is this company going to go. I think I think it's great. And I think that's a great way for folks to get into investing and, and to connect with their portfolio. Uh, but it also aligns really well with one of our later uh, things that we were going to mention, which is venture capital, where, like you said, you are investing in an idea at some stages of venture capital. So the earliest stages of venture capital is someone has an idea idea, but they need a couple thousand dollars to just get started. They need a couple thousand dollars to make a prototype, to buy an office space, to hire their first person. And so you're mm-hmm. investing in those ideas. And and, and that's, that's what venture capital is. And I, that's not if unless you're going to make that a full-time thing because that is an area where you might invest in a hundred things and maybe one does well, but... That's that's well, it. So you, you, in your opinion, it's not a bad idea just to hang on to this for now and see what happens. Yeah, for this amount of money, I'm not worried. All right, Mike, we appreciate your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. A couple minutes left in the show. We've been talking this hour about investment opportunities that aren't the stock market. Uh, Ryder mentioned venture capital. Nancy, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, I, I'm going to echo what he said. I mean, the, the life of a venture capitalist is uh, one of numbers. And so you invest in a lot of ideas. You put your money on a lot of, of horses, hoping that you're going to get a winner out of the group. And it only takes one big winner for them to turn a positive return. It certainly um, only takes one big winner for you to be able to gloat about it and, yeah, make, true. It, and make it <laughs> seem what I did. like you're an absolute genius. Yeah, it's sort of like fishing, you know. Uh, let me tell you about the one that got away. Um, but yeah, venture capitalists are just different breeds, and of course, they're investing in high-risk possibly high-reward projects. They are not public projects, so if you invest with a venture capitalist through a hedge fund, which is a private investment fund, then you're agreeing to lock up your money for an extended period of time. That's how they can get these deals. 
and as you said, high risk, and then um, so if you were if you invest in the fund, you're not the person picking out which venture to invest in. Is that correct? If it's a hedge fund, no. Yeah, yeah. In a venture capital fund, you there will be someone who is going around, you know, picking those people are people are coming to them for money. The investor can take a fairly passive role and just let that manager do the work. And, and generally, yeah. generally you sign something saying, yeah. yeah, I know what I'm getting into with this couple hundred oh, grand I'm putting down. Do. I'm a big time investor, so I can afford to lose this much money. All right, less than two minutes to go. Let's mention one final one: uh, annuities. Uh, Nancy, we get oh, questions about these. Oh, don't get me started on this. <laughs> we don't have enough time. How about just uh, for most people, don't do it. Okay, so so my question was, you know, who is this a right investment for? And here's who is the right person for an annuity. If you know, as an absolute matter of fact, that you will live forever, then an annuity makes sense because an annuity, kind of academically. And the product, this is how they're marketed as well, is that it is a thing so you'll never run out of money. You'll have an endless stream of payments until you die. So if you know that you're never going to, and they price it knowing actuarially when you're going to die. So, I mean, they price it fairly. It's not like you're getting a good deal unless you know you're going to live forever. Then you've outsmarted them. Um, Now, the problem is, even though they guarantee a stream of payments, say you sign up an annuity, you pay your money, and they're going to give you $100 every month till the day you die. The big risk with an annuity is that that hundred dollars ain't a hundred dollars when you when you're ten years down the line. We're looking at we're looking at the inflation that we've been looking at for the past few months. For the past 10 years, inflation has been very, very mild, below 2%. So if you got $100 starting 10 years ago, you probably you were probably doing fine, and that $100 was still good up until a couple months ago. But that was unusually low inflation. And, and there's another risk here, which is that $100 is not enough to cover your correct. expenses. And that's so that's correct. what we run into. People sock their money into an annuity. There's limits on how mm-hmm. you can get to your money, and now you're in a situation where you you need to pull the bulk of it out, mm-hmm. and you're going to face surrender charges. All right. We'll end it there. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Today's show was produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, only on MPB Think Radio. podcast.